Monday's coming. Monday is when reality hits. Monday is when Sunday is tested. Monday is when faith has to work. What we are doing inside these walls allow us to handle, prosper, and not just survive, but thrive all week long. What are you doing inside these walls? Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. As the live wires head out and head to their kids' service, I just want to invite all of you to stand up really quick. I know you're thinking, we just sat down. It's been a long morning. But today, we want to stand in unity in what God is doing. I don't know if you've ever read some different passages in the, in the Bible, but there's some weird things that happen in the Bible. In fact, it even talks about the kingdom of heaven. So it talks about when we get to heaven, uh, there, there's going to be creatures with tons of eyes and angels all around singing, holy, holy, holy. So when we stand in this place, sometimes things seem a little bit odd. We're like, wow, that's weird. They're all speaking kind of weird languages, tongues, what we call it. You know what? It's an expression of what God is doing. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a sports game. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. A sports arena or something. But people get a little crazy when they get excited about what their team is doing. I mean, you've got guys with no shirts on. You've got people going crazy for their team. Why can't we get a little crazy about what God is doing here? And so that's what we're doing here this morning. We are getting excited. We are getting crazy about what God is doing today. And so if you would, just lift your hands with me. We are going to invite God into the service, and we are going to just ask him to bless us and to speak to us. God, we thank you. God, we exalt you in this place. Lord, we glorify your name alone. We lift you high, and we say, come and do what you want to do today. God, we tear down the boxes that we have put you in, the things that we have said that you are, and we say, God, come and do whatever you want to do today. God, we invite you in this place and we ask for your presence and we ask for your, uh, your still small voice that speaks. God, would you come? Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you speak to us? In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Praise God. He is so good. Man, I'm so excited to be in church today. I'm so excited to be in the power place. And if you haven't realized it yet, we're just a little bit excited about what's happening here. We're just a little bit excited about what God is doing. And you may have noticed, maybe it seems like we have a little extra like pep in our step today. Um, our pastoral staff just got back from this conference last night at midnight. So it could be a little bit of coffee, could be a little bit of the Holy Spirit, could be a little bit of adrenaline, but we are so excited because at this conference we were reminded of the victory that God has already given us. We were reminded of the grace of Jesus that compels us, that compels us to live, and so we are just extra excited to be in church today because we've seen with our own eyes what God is doing in this nation, and we are excited about what God is doing right here in Hashtag KSQ, Kenneth Square. That's right. We're here. We're ready. Let's do it. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series inside these walls. So for the past few weeks, uh, all of our pastoral staff has decided that we're going to take a different room inside the house. And basically, our thought is we know that you guys 
Most of your life does not take place inside this building. It doesn't take place inside this church, inside of these walls. When you go home, it's the Monday through Saturday is the reason that we meet here on Sunday. And so we, wanna, we wanted to really share with you from our hearts what it looks like when you're not inside these walls, but when you're inside the walls of your home. So Elijah started us off with this incredible message about the living room. So we kind of set up a little living room uh, in the, on the platform, and he talked about culture and what you set, the culture that you set in your house and how it affects your children, your family, your atmosphere, your guests that come in. Because what you set in your culture is what determines what comes into your house and what goes out. So you have to set a strong culture, standing on faith, standing on grace. And Isaiah continued that message by talking about the kitchen, um, which is kind of funny. I figured since I am the only girl on staff, I would probably get the kitchen, right? Social norms. But we are a girl power church. That's right. So I didn't get the kitchen. Isaiah took the kitchen. And it was an incredible message talking about communication. What does it look like when you sit around your kitchen table? What are the words that come out of your mouth? What are your kids hearing from you and taking on into their own lives? And so set the tone of your house, the communication that you have in graciousness, in love of people, of everybody around you. How do we teach our children how to communicate properly the love of Jesus? Great message. So this morning... I bet you can probably guess what room in the house I have. The bathroom. Now, it could be because I'm the newest one here. It could be because it's like this circle of life thing. Like you go from being top dog, like senior in college, to going back to like freshman, kind of high school freshman. Then you get to senior, then you go to freshman in college. Well, now maybe it's the same thing here. But somehow I got the bathroom. That's right. I'm really excited. I've decided to dump all of my potty mouth jokes. I've decided to say, deuces, we're not going there. Um, and I have laid waste to anything that could be related to the potty. So if you are wondering, there is no toilet on stage because I am not that cool. I can't bring up a topic like that. <laughs> I wish, I'll try, maybe someday Isaiah, he could totally do it, but I can't. So today we're talking about the bathroom. We are talking about the bathroom. And I just wanna, I wanna start and just get really real with you this morning. Is that okay? Can we get like really real? Like you're inside my house. I mean, we're in the bathroom for heaven's sake. We gotta get real right from the get go. We're gonna, we're gonna sit on my couch and have a conversation about what life looks like. And the real life issues. We don't want to talk to you about something that you're not going through. And so this message is so close to my heart. In fact, this morning I was in my car on my way here. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, God, why'd you give me this message? I'm probably the most unqualified person to be talking about this. And yet you've chosen me to take on the bathroom. You see, the bathroom is the place where we are the realest form of ourself. It's the first place you go in the morning, the last place you go before bed. It sees you in every capacity at literally your realest form. It could be the place where you ponder all the things that you wish you could change about yourself before you put on your makeup and walk out the door. 
It could be the place where you go just for a minute away from the kids. Maybe if I close the door, they will not even knock or put their fingers under the door. I don't know what you go into the bathroom for, but the bathroom is one of the realest places that we can be with ourselves. I just wonder if mirrors could tell stories, like if a mirror could tell a story, I guarantee that a bathroom mirror would have the funniest stories to tell, ever. But it would also have some of the scariest stories to tell. What you say to yourself, how you look at yourself, how you, how you are in your weakest form. You see, God has called us to a place that we may go into the bathroom and hide things about ourselves, but God has called us to a place of not being hidden any longer. He doesn't want the things that are hidden so deep down inside of us to become who we are. There's this story in John chapter 5, and that's kind of where we're going to hang out today. So if you have your Bible, pull it out, John chapter 5. If you're taking notes, and I really hope you are, because leaders are note takers. We were at this conference, uh, Hillsong conference or whatever. The top leaders in the pastoral church world were all there, like the top of the top of the top. And yet in every single session, guess what? Every single one of them had a notepad. What was God speaking? What was God speaking? When you take notes, it's a way that you connect what you're hearing to what the, what the person who is hearing from God is hearing. And so you're able to connect those thoughts and say, okay, God, this is what you're speaking directly to me. So I hope you're taking notes this morning. And if you are, we're going to John chapter 5. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. And there's this story about this man. And this man in, the, in this passage of scripture is very vague. They don't give information about him. Uh, the Bible doesn't even say his name. The Bible doesn't say why he's there or why the purpose of this story is for. But we're going to pick it up right in verse 1. I think it will be on the screens. It says, John chapter 5, verse 1, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great, dis great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Let's pray. God, we declare in this place that you are Lord over all. And we ask right now that you would begin to speak to hearts. God, if there are hearts that are being turned towards you, Lord, would you give them a word? Would you uh, speak directly to them? Let your presence be everything today in this place. God, would you make us whole? Would you make us well? In your name we pray. Amen. You see this man in the Bible in John chapter 5. 
He had been laying by this pool. Now, I just want to add in this pool. It's called Bethesda. So it kind of gives a little bit of the scripture tells us where it is. It's by the Sheep Gate. It's in Jerusalem. I actually stood there. I was at the very pool, five colonnades, I said four, but five, five colonnades, five columns, what, what that means, this pool. I don't know if anybody needs to know this in here this morning, but guess what? The Bible is real. It's real places, it's real people, it was a real time, and it really happened exactly how it is. So this pool, I saw it with my own eyes. I stood there and I saw the pool, I saw the five columns, I counted them, one, two, three, four, five. This, and I saw the sheep gate. I know that this is the, where the exact spot that Jesus was talking about. And so this, this pool, it had this legend around it. Uh, and what this legend was, and this is why there were so many lame people. They were paralyzed, sick. Uh, I mean, you name it. And if somebody had a problem, they were at this pool. Because there was this legend that every once in a while, an angel would come down and would stir the waters of this pool. So this pool was not like a swimming pool. It wasn't uh, one that you would go and lay out next to kind of thing. This pool was actually what carried the water for the temple. So it was believed to be holy water because they would take this water and take it into the temple. And that's what they used for different things uh, with like incense and all of that in the temple of God. And so, these, so people had this legend that this holy water would every once in a while be stirred. And whoever got into it first would be healed. Now we have no, um, we have no idea if this is true. Uh, as far as we know, this is just a legend. We don't know if anything ever happened, if people were healed or anything like that. As far as we know, it is just a legend. But people continue to go by this pool uh, and lay by it and wait for somebody else to help them into the pool. And so this man had been waiting by this pool for 38 years. That is longer than I've been alive. That is maybe double what some of the, uh, the youth in here have been alive. That is maybe half of the life that you have lived. 38 years. 38 years. It's a long time. It's a long time. And he laid by this pool. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. And every single time. He was stuck. He was stuck. Do you know one of the most prominent aspects of our American culture is this idea of self-esteem. And if you read any books, in fact, there are over 140,000 books written about self-esteem. And not only just self-esteem, low self-esteem. That's not even counting the books that are written about how to have a high self-esteem. These are books with low self-esteem in the title. 140,000. Self-esteem is huge. And it's not just in the younger generation. It has carried on into every single one of our lives. In fact, their uh, psychology today has a study that says that um, there are only 7% of people in the United States with high self-esteem. Seven percent. Seven. So that means there are 93 percent of us that deal with this idea of not really liking who we are. Seven percent. In a room, say we had 250 people here this morning. In a room like this, that would be about, uh, they say around like 17 or so. 
I can't remember my exact number. I really did calculate it, I promise. But so say this. You've got three rows right here. They all have really great self-esteem. They know who they are. They love themselves. They wake up every morning and say, you know what? I got this. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked the right row. But look, at, look around. So you've got three rows. The rest of us. If we're looking, I mean, I'm not saying that they do and you don't, whatever. But I am saying, like, that is a number. When you look into a high school or a middle school or um, a workplace and you look around for 7%, it's a low number. And I know there are some of us in this room that have dealt with this idea of insecurity, this, this pride issue. There's more Self-esteem isn't just insecurity. It isn't just this girlish idea of, oh, like I'm too fat. Self, uh, self-esteem and insecurity go way deeper than that. It's a pride issue. It's a, it's a security issue. It's a confidence issue. It's a trust issue. There are so many deeper things that happen. 7%. I have some other stats because I thought they were so interesting. Um, this psychology today also says that over 70% of girls ages 15 to 17, avoid normal activities, such as attending school, when they feel bad about their looks. 70% of teenage girls avoid normal activities, nothing out of the ordinary, normal, when they feel bad about what they look like. Do you know that there are 46% of uh, young guys that are on protein supplements in order to somehow bulk up? 46%. This is an issue that is so far deeply rooted. It's not something that just uh, has come randomly one day. You see, insecurity has been my story. It has been who I've called myself. It has been the part of my life that I have gone into the bathroom multiple times and tried to hide. It is the thing so deeply inside of me that I have for years layered and layered and layered and layered in order to not show that weakness. You see, in the bathroom, we are our realest selves. In the place where we find our weakest moments is also where Jesus finds his strongest moments. You see, there's this thing that happens, and I hope you can see this. This mirror got, somehow it looks a little bit dirty. You know how sometimes certain lighting changes how it looks, so I hope you can see this. But basically, all of us are born, I mean, that's true, every single one of us are born, and something that's really interesting is that insecurity, fear, pride, all of these things are taught. They're taught and they're caught. But they are not uh, born with us. We are not born with insecurity. We are not born with fear. We are not born with pride. We are born uh, in this whole complete way. And then throughout the years, throughout the experiences, we pick up, we catch a few of these little things. And this is what happens. So tell me if you can see this. No? Kind of? Okay, look on the screen. So this is all of you when you are born. Nice, beautiful heart. Your parents are so excited. So cute. Then throughout the years, 
little things happen. Your mom forgot to pick you up from school. Yikes. Little thing happens. Little wound. Wow, how come I was forgotten? Am I like easily forgettable? You go, your dad doesn't show up to your football game. Another little wound. Why doesn't he care about me? Am I not good enough? Did I not play well enough for him to look at? Your dad or your mom or your grandparent or somebody really important in your life leaves you. Abandoned. Couldn't do anything that could ever please them. So they walked out on me. You got passed up at your job for a promotion. Nothing I ever do will ever be the best. Somebody's always going to be greater. Throughout our lives, there are these things that happen and all of these wounds that happen, these moments that pierce our hearts and these perfectly built walls that we, have cre- that we were born with start to erode. And these perfectly built uh, heart and mind starts to be uh, torn down by the little things that happen. And so we, we begin to build new walls around our heart. Layers. Makeup. Ideas. Personality. All these different things. We begin to build new walls because we've been tearing down the ones we were born with. We've been tearing down this whole self. And you know what happens? Someday, you fall in love, and it's like the greatest time in the ever. But you've got layers. You've got these walls that have been built up from previous hurt, from previous things that have happened, and all of this love that wants to go in gets stuck. It can't. Walls. Nothing can penetrate it. Eventually, you meet Jesus, and he's the coolest guy ever, and you're like, wow, I love this church thing. This is awesome. Grace, wow. Walls. Can't get in. You've built these things around yourself that say, uh, I'm fine how I am. You can see me from the outside, and I look like I'm doing well. You don't know what's going on. Because, you see, before you can fix the walls of your house before you can uh, live graciously and inside the walls of your house, you have to know how to fix the inside of these walls, the inside of these walls. This man, in John chapter 5, had been laying by this pool for 38 years. He'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody else to help him been waiting for somebody else to pick him up, for somebody else to bring him his healing. And one day, this man, I also want to add, this man, he was unnamed and undiagnosed. The Bible never once mentions his name, and the Bible never, never once mentions what was wrong with him. We don't know if he was born crippled. We don't know if he got into a camel crash or, I don't know, like whatever, whatever would have happened back then. We don't know that. We don't know if he was abused, if he was assaulted. We don't know why he was laying by the pool. But he was for 38 years. 38 years. And one day, 
one man, one encounter with Jesus Christ, with the Savior of the world, changed his life forever. You see, Jesus sees him, and Jesus knows him. He sees this man has probably been walked by. I mean, this is a very, like, prominent part of the city. This man has probably had thousands of people walk past him every single day. Every single day, thousands of people walking past him. And yet one man sees and knows. One man sees and knows that there is something going on that is not okay. And so Jesus, I picture him, he gets down on his knees, looks at this man, says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And now I'm not really like a sarcastic person, but you know there are the people that mainly speak sarcasm. Well, in this moment, think about it. This man has been sitting by this pool for 38 years. Of course he wants to get well. Jesus, what are you trying to say? Like, do you want to get well? Well, hello, I've been sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting for 38 years. Of course. Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get well? And you would think the man would reply with, duh, hello. But guess what the man responds with? Every single excuse as to why he can't be healed. He starts saying, but, but sir, I've, I've laid by this pool for 38 years. Sir, I've done what I could do. Nobody will help me. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Like, no. You would think 38 years, he finally gets asked by one man who stopped after thousands have passed him. Do you want to get well? And he goes, well, uh, you know, I got laid off on my job uh, when I was 30 or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what time you get. Well, whatever. But, um... <laughs> He starts listing these excuses. He starts listing these things. Oh, well, I was abused as a child. Oh, well, this is just how I grew up. The environment I grew up in wasn't good enough. No matter what I did, I always got passed over by somebody better than me. He starts listing these excuses and these things as to why he can't be healed. And yet Jesus says, sir, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, at once, this man was cured. He was healed. And what he did is he got up, he picked up his mat, and he walked. You see, you may have come in this place, and you may be bound by something so deeply inside. This man, his uh, his disabilities, his physical uh, things, they were wrong on the outside. They were obvious to the normal eye. You could walk by and see that man can't get up. Maybe you're here, and the, the issues, the things that are binding you from getting up, it may be so deep inside that nobody even knows. It could be that you have put up so many layers trying to hide this, this aspect about you that you don't like, this pride, this sin, this lust, this insecurity, that you may be walking through this place every single Sunday, and nobody even notices been walked by, walked by thousands of times. People have been uh, asking you how you're doing and you respond with fine. But you know deep inside that you are not fine. There's this thing deep inside of your belly, inside of your soul that says, I'm not okay, but we put up these fronts. We put up these, these ideals about ourselves that we want people to see. And that's what people see. But can I tell you that there is one man 
that in one encounter, in one instance, he can set you free. And he's simply asking you, do you want to get well? And as the band comes back up, we're just going to, we're going to end with these few things, but maybe you've made excuses. Maybe you've decided that you weren't going to let anybody see past what you've put up. You've built these walls and nothing can penetrate, not even the love and grace of God, because you won't let it. See, Jesus is not looking at the person around you. He's not thinking of um, who else is in this room that needs to hear this message. He's looking directly into your eyes and saying, do you want to get well? Other people may not see what's going on. Other people may not understand. But he sees and he knows. Do you want to get well? And all it requires is a simple moment of saying, yes. Yes, God, I want to get well. God, I don't want to live in this insecurity. I don't want to live in this pride or this lust or this sin. I want to get well. I want to live the life that you have called me. I want to live this life that is beyond what I could imagine. It's what Jesus offers. It's who Jesus is. You see, Jesus came. And it's a verse that we pass over so many times because it's so known. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die so that you and I could live. There was this exchange that went on. And you see, God is simply asking, hey, I sent my son. It's for you. Not just for the person beside you. Not just for the person who's never heard of Jesus. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. No, no, no. He's asking you, do you want to get well? You see, there was a, a moment that I can remember. And it's the moment I started in the bathroom. The moment I started looking at myself and trying to figure out, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was wrong with me. The power of words, so important. Me and my sisters, I, my family is a very musical family. My, I mean, you know, the Hollises, my cousins, my parents, my grandparents, I mean, you name it, somebody in my family, they sing and they sing amazing. So, as a normal part of the family, what do you do? You sing, that's what you do. So me and my sisters, this was a few years back, I was um, right at the beginning of high school or end of middle school, beginning of high school. And me and my sisters had sang a song in the offertory at church. It's fun, we did it all the time. I grew up singing every single day of my life. It was what I was passionate about, worship. So I sang this song. And right afterwards, just kind of going about my day, like I always did, Sunday. And this man came up to me afterwards, and um, he was a close family friend. And so he was kind of just joking around, talking about the Sunday sermon, all that different stuff. And he looked at me, and without malicious, like with not being malicious, he looked at me and he said, I'll never forget it. He said, you know how there's always one person in the family that doesn't really have the family trait? You must be the one who can't sing. And he laughed and joked around, and he didn't mean anything by it. Ten years later, 
10 years later, I will never forget that moment because of the power of words. It's these things that happen, these wounds that come, these walls that are built in that moment. In that moment when that man said that to me, I stopped singing. Never sang again. Worship was hard. Wouldn't ever sing in worship. I would kind of like hum or sing really quietly. I stopped. It bound me. I remember the first time that somebody looked at me and as I was grabbing a bag of chips in my high school lunchroom, I remember the moment that somebody looked at me and said, oh, should you really be eating that? Eight years later, eight years later, and I still remember that moment and I remember the moments after that that have been turned into lies in my life that I have believed for way too long for way too long thinking I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, somebody will always come and pass me by, I'm too fat to do something like this, I'm chubby, I'm, I don't look good, I'm not pretty, I can't sing. For years being bound. And just like this man in John chapter five, for 38 years he was bound. And yet it was not too late. That's what I love about the gospel is that it is not too late. And so I stand here today and I ask you the same that Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? He doesn't want you to live in the bondage that you have bound yourself in. He doesn't want, to, want you to live in this insecurity of what could be or what hasn't been. Jesus simply asks, do you want to get well? Today is your day. Today is the day of freedom. Today is the day of victory. The victory has already been won. We don't worship because we're waiting on the victory. We're worshiping because we know the victory has already happened. And so we are standing in agreement to what God is doing and what God has done. See, I stand here before you free because I answered the question. And I said, God, I don't want to live bound. I don't want to live in the approval of somebody else. I want to live knowing that you know me. You know the things that still bother me, the insecurities that we still have. And yet you still chose me. Despite everything, despite what has happened to me, despite the wounds, despite how broken my heart is because of the experiences of life calls. He still knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. And he sees. You haven't gone by without being seen by God. You haven't gone unnoticed. He sees and he knows. And he simply wants to know, do you want to get well? Because today is your day. Today is the day to walk in freedom. If you would all stand to your feet with me and close your eyes. I want to give everybody the privacy of this moment. Close your eyes and I want you to simply reflect. What does your heart look like right now? You may have to peel back some layers. You may have to really reflect back on what has happened. And yet Jesus is standing here this morning saying, do you want to get well? It's for you. It's for you. 
you feel like God has been speaking to you. Maybe you feel this little patter, pitter-patter in your heart or you feel this overwhelming sense of peace. Guess what? God is speaking directly to you. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? If you feel like you've identified with me, maybe it's been the insecurity, maybe it's been something that you've been bound by, the lies, the lust, the sin, the pride. If you feel like you've identified with my hurt or with uh, my pain, you feel like you may have experienced something like it or maybe something completely different, but you know that today this was for you, would you just lift your hand? Raise your hand. God sees and God knows and God cares about the details of your life. He cares about the things that nobody else sees. He cares about how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror. He cares about uh, how you talk to yourself inside your mind when you've corroded the walls that were built. Do you want to get well? God, we thank you for what you are doing here. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us by name and that you see us and you know us and you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. God, we trust that you are powerful enough to take where I've been and what I've done and turn it into where you want me to be. God, we know and we trust that you are a God who heals. You are a God who takes what was broken and makes it whole. God, we declare right now and today that you are a God of freedom and you have called us to walk in it. Get up, pick up your mat.